Welcome to the Chaya Podcast, a sacred platform where Jewish Iranian changemakers turn taboo topics into transformational opportunities for the community. I'm your hostess, Nicole Napovar, a licensed psychotherapist with a private practice in Century City, and I'm also the co-founder of Chaya, a community of intimate gatherings for Jewish Iranians to experience meaningful connection and deepen their sense of self. The intention of this podcast is to support our listeners' evolution by challenging the rules our parents and community want for us in order to have their definition of the best life. Instead, let's decide from a more conscious place in our souls which practices we want to keep, which ones we want to let go of, and how we can own those decisions with grace so that we can thrive in more fulfilling and authentic lives. This is the Chaya Podcast, and I'm your hostess, Nicole Napovar. Welcome, Chaya fam. This is your hostess, Nicole Napovar, and I am here with Mastane Moradam. She is an LCSW and the co-founder and executive director of the nonprofit organization Cross-Cultural Expressions in Encino, California. Mastane has worked with the Iranian LGBTQ community and their families for over 15 years through the facilitation of the We Do Care Iranian American Parents of LGBTQ support, advocacy, and leadership groups. In 2016, Masana was honored with the JQ International Inspiration Award for bringing the Persian LGBTQ community into the forefront while giving a voice and support to Persian parents of LGBTQ children. So thank you so much for joining us today, Masana, and I am so excited to chat with you, um, not just about you know LGBTQ stuff, but our community has so many strengths you know, whether it's tradition or family or togetherness or resilience. But what we often find is that our conversations can be maybe surfacey or superficial. And, um, you know, we're scared to maybe open up to some of our even closest friends. And so I know you've done a lot of research on why that is. And I'd like it if you shared with our listeners today um, a little bit more about that with the intention of helping us all have more compassion and develop awareness on this topic and this element of our community. So with that long intro <laughs> and with my question, what are some of those stigmatized topics that you're seeing in the Jewish Iranian community today? I would be happy to answer the question. Um, first, I'd like to thank you, Nicole, for the opportunity to do this and for everyone at Chaya who does this amazing work for our community um, uh, I think it's great, and I think these podcasts are just making uh, your work more rich. So thank you thank for you. your commitment to that. Um, so, yeah, I've worked a lot uh, with the Iranian community probably over 20 years now, and most of the work that I've done, other than the therapy that I do with the community, um, is through the development of um, services and programs that help actually decrease stigmas around stigmatized or taboo topics within the community in an effort to, uh, you know, uplift people and help people's mental health because there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Um, so that has kind of been my passion and the driving force in the work that I do was to not just stay in the office, but to really come and do community work. Um, so all of that started for me about 20 years ago when I started working at an organization called Jewish Family Service. Um, and uh, 
I think I've done a lot of work on what the Iranian community or collectivist communities in general would consider stigmatized topics. I think my first venture into that work was working closely with um, victims and children of domestic violence. So I did a lot of work with that, and uh, there are so many taboos in our community around DV, um, specifically around uh, divorce and breaking up families. And I think uh, people try to stick to this like straight line of what should be and often don't pay attention to the damage that's being done as a result of that. And I think mm -hmm. I saw that really firsthand in the work that I did with DV because, uh, you know, there's such a strong commitment to marriage and family within the Iranian, specifically Iranian Jewish community, which is wonderful. I think that is one of our strengths. But... Um, I think often, uh, you know, keeping a rigid perspective on such values makes it so you ignore some incredibly damaging and dysfunctional uh, relationships mm -hmm. that actually are more hazardous to the children and the, and the individuals in it than if the family were to break up or split up. So I think that was my first kind of... Um, the first time I really saw how community tends to ignore really large uh, issues and problems just to kind of keep with the mainstream and with the, um, you know, values and belief systems that they hold close to their hearts. So um, definitely you asked, I think your question was, what are some of the stigmatized topics? So I think still to this day 2020 in Los Angeles California I think <laughs> divorce is still a big issue for the um, Iranian community uh, so I definitely see it there uh, also obviously my work with the LGBTQ community that is a hugely stigmatized and taboo topic um, other topics include uh, you know, marrying out of your faith, your religion, marrying out of the culture, so a lot around marriage. Um, and then something as simple as, you know, the career that you're choosing, um, if it's something more on the artsy side, um, tends to be more. But, you know, in the work that I've done, and I do a lot of trainings, and I do a lot of presentations on this idea of collectivist versus individualistic cultures, and what I found is that, um, you know, Iranians, certainly Jewish Iranians, are not the only collectivist cultures out there. Yeah. And when we say collectivist cultures, we mean kind of tribal-based cultures, which is really how the whole world functioned for thousands and thousands of years. So I don't think there's any culture that isn't familiar with that kind of tribal mentality. I think it's only in the last maybe 150, 200 years that... Um, this idea of um, individualistic that grew out of the philosophy of um, liberalism came out of, you know, North America and Europe, really. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with just advancements in technology, which have really allowed people to not have to be so tribally centered anymore because we're not, we don't so much have to rely for our basic needs to be met. 
mm-hmm. uh, to be in a group. We're allowed to live now because of technology in a much more uh, a, a not autonomous manner. So that having been said, I think that there are certain rules and regulations that are placed on like this tribal uh, collectivist uh, way of being that in the appropriate time and in the appropriate age and place and without the technology certainly makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you need a group of people and if you need a group of strong people in order to live, in order to feed yourself and clothe yourself and function, then those rules make sense. It's only when you take it now out of that age and that necessity that they start to really create more perhaps havoc and dysfunction in our world. It was a very survival-based mentality and you do whatever you have to do in order to survive. And you're more likely to survive in a group of strong people and resourceful people than by yourself. For thousands of years, yeah. is the only way to survive. Exactly. Nobody can manage the world kind of by themselves. So when you think about a lot of the rules in our community in that context, they make more sense. So, for example, you know, marry someone with a higher status than you or more money than you. That person's going to have more resources than you. That person's going to be able to keep you safe. That person's going to be able to make sure that you're, you know, alive and taken care of. And so when you're thinking about it from that perspective, it makes sense. But then when you apply it to our modern day society where we're all capable of working and a lot of our needs, you know, can be met through Amazon or, (laughs) you know what I mean, all these different technologies or apps or whatever, it changes things. And so I think a lot of us today are struggling with exactly what you said, an individualistic culture, which is American culture, which really values you know what I would even take American off of it and just call it modern, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just versus a more traditional. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Verse, and they're very much in conflict. I think with each other, these two ways of being. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, I think they're in conflict with each other where there's rigidity, right? So if there's any rigidity that you hold, you know, if you don't see the beliefs and values as evolving and changing, then you're going to start being in conflict when new uh, ways of life and new beliefs and new values are introduced. Mm -hmm. But I think the loss of the perspective that our beliefs and values were created in order to serve us and to keep us grounded and to keep us safe, and as the world changes, so must our beliefs and values is where the damage is done. You know, it's in that kind of uh, rigid, more dogmatic state is where the damage is done because the world and humans and everything in it is forever evolving. And so the point of beliefs and values is for them to serve us, not for us to serve them. And I think when we lose uh, kind of the perspective on that is where you really start to see the dysfunction. So this whole tribal collectivist culture, you know, rightfully so, was very fear-based, right? So um, where there is fear, power emerges, right? So you're looking for people who have any kind of power, whether that's physical strength, right? So which is why you see so many uh, male-dominated kind of tribal societies because of the physical strength. 
or whether that's powers and status or in wealth or education, wherever there's power, you're bound to be safer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in a fear-based kind of collectivist society. And so in a time and in a world where there really wasn't the opportunity for us to sit there and to like negotiate with the bear that's about to eat us or whatever <laughs> it is, fear was the right way to go, right? There's no quicker way to learn a lesson and to keep you in place than the use of fear. All I'm like imagining as you're talking about this is like a huge bear and like a mom on Bazorg like, Vavila! Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So there's no time to sit there and talk about like the, our existential needs as it were when you got to like keep away from the hazardous things and keep yourself safe and you know make sure the tribe is safe so a lot of what we're seeing now which is like this concept of alberu or the concepts of shame are incredibly fear-based tactics that were used within tribes in order to keep the group cohesive mm -hmm. and they worked and mm -hmm. they still work right mm -hmm. except the point being that in this day and age, they're not so necessary anymore, right? Because we can all probably manage to keep our safe, safe selves safe from the elements and live and survive because now there's supermarkets and there's clothing shops and there's, you know, apartments we can rent and all of that. So all of this that was really put into place to keep us safe has kind of evolved but our perspectives around the values and beliefs that kind of grew out of that to keep us in check haven't. Mm. And that's where we're seeing the, you know, there was a time, for example, going back to maybe the LGBTQ issue, where it was about procreation. The world needed more people, <laughs> right? So everything was about procreation and having children and therefore, in that kind of a world where technology was non-existent, right, uh, men and women got married to have children and to procreate. And if there was a relationship that did not do that, then it just wasn't thought of as a relationship uh, within the constructs of the society. Mm. Well, that doesn't really have a place in our world anymore. You know, first of all, the world is overpopulated. Secondly, with all kinds of new technologies, people can have children in all different kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer a reason to use for uh, not allowing same-sex marriage to happen. It, it just doesn't hold true anymore. Just if you look at it within the you know beliefs and value systems. So it's something that is an outdated thing, yet day after day after day, uh, I work with families who, you know, worst case scenario, really s isolate or throw out or disown their children because of their sexual orientation, um, which is kind of counter to the whole family thing, if you really think about it. Yeah. So... That's when I think we cross that line where the set of beliefs and values that we hold are no longer serving us. Now we're in service of them, and I'm mm -hmm. not sure that that was meant to be what was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that there are certain topics in the community that we don't talk about. And 
from what I understand, it sounds like you're what you're saying is the reason why we don't talk about these topics is because of shame. Yeah, because uh, historically or ancestrally, um, they were thought of as topics that separate you from the cohesiveness of your community. So this collectivist culture mm -hmm. requires that nobody stands out too much, mm -hmm. you know? Um, if you stand out within the rules of the society, it's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, like the society values education. So if you get a good education and you stand out in that way, it's good. But you're not allowed to really be unique. It, it's not part of the uh, platform of a correct collectivist tribal world. Everybody is supposed to kind of look the same and dress the same and do the same and all of that. Because any time, if you think a few thousand years ago, if anyone stood out, it put the whole community in danger, mm -hmm. right? But now we're carrying on with this idea that nobody should stand out when we don't have those kind of elemental dangers to worry about anymore. And it's interesting because, as you know, I do a lot of, you know, gatherings at Chaya. Right. And the big focus is, you know, each event is about challenging a different stigmatized topic, mm -hmm. challenging the shame that comes up around that and helping people own what it is that they truly want to believe moving forward and getting conscious of those ideas. And that's part of the intention of this podcast as well. But... What I'm noticing is that a lot of people today are tired of conforming and they're tired of feeling like everybody is the same. It's uninspiring. It's dull. And so one of the things that I hear from everybody who walks through the door is that I really feel like an outsider in this community. There are parts of me that I really feel like don't belong here. And what are the consequences of not having these conversations and not letting people be who they are? And I think a lot of what it's created in our community is that people are leaving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're leaving our community. They're moving to other places. They're, um, you know, maybe estranged from their family or feeling depressed or anxious when they're around their family, which is one of the first things that you started mm -hmm. with mentioning. So... I'm curious to hear as well from you, what are some of the things and consequences that you've noticed as a result of not having open communication? Well, I think the whole, you know, down part of the collectivist tribal culture is that it results in a very secretive society, right? Because nobody's perfect. Nobody could live up to any specific, you know, standard that is set. And therefore, if you're not allowed to bring what, you know, Jung would call your shadow side um, and kind of uh, bring it and unify it with the whole you, then what's going to happen is that you're going to start to create division within yourself and you're going to have a part of you that no one, maybe not even you yourself really consciously knows exists. And uh, then that becomes a disservice because then it's a disconnect essentially from yourself. And then it becomes all about keeping secrets and being hush-hush. And anywhere where there's secrets and hush-hush, there's a stagnation, right? Mm -hmm. A lack of uh, ability to grow and evolve and learn and move forward. And so 
you know, what happens in stagnant waters? Uh, you get a lot of disease and mold. And <laughs> 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 so if, if you don't have the opportunity to uh, work out your fears, if you don't have the opportunity to make your mistakes, if you don't have opportunity to experience your experiences and then integrate that into the whole you and present that to your community and to your loved ones, then what you're really cheating yourself and your community out of is basically that opportunity to grow and evolve. Mm -hmm. So you're going to stay more stagnant. And human beings really weren't meant. Nature doesn't like stagnation. Mm. That's right. It's always changing. Nature has to evolve. Nature has to change. How can we begin to shift out of the shame and into, you know, more open expression and communication? Well, I think a lot of times it's about taking the places where you feel like you're not moving forward, where you're feeling unsatisfied or unhappy, and taking a look at them and really trying to see or pinpoint or create awareness around where your fear lies. Most of the places where we are stagnant, if you really like take it down to the root, it's, it's where the most fear lies for most of us. Where's that fear coming from? And then to really see if the place where you're feeling that fear, if it, if it's applies to today's day and age. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you give like, me an example? Yeah, like for example, okay, so I work with parents of LGBTQ, right? Mm -hmm. And so when a child comes out to the parent, I have it written on my flyers when the parent goes into the closet often mm. because now they're dealing with all this shame and guilt and all of this stuff. And so when I'm working with the parents, most of the parents <clears throat> have a lot of turmoil or guilt uh, because they feel like, first of all, there's something wrong with them. So they're looking at their own parenting and starting to create doubt around that. Mm. Uh, and then they feel like, um, you know, what was I supposed to do that I didn't do? What was lacking? And when we go down to the bottom of it, like to the bottom of what's really bothering them, it's the notion of now I'm going to be looked at as different. Now my family is going to stand out as different. Mm. And that scares me. And it makes me feel unsafe. And it makes me feel unsafe for my child. And then there's the idea of procreation and marriage. You know, now my child, uh, I'm afraid, won't be able to get married, won't be able to have a family, won't be able to have children. And so we kind of bring it down to these fears. And then we start to really like look at the reality of these fears, you know? So the reality of it is, you know, what is the essential problem of you standing out within the community? What is the real problem? Well, I don't like to be talked about. 
all right, let's say you're talked about. Like, what happens? Mm. Ultimately, what's the big fear about being talked about? Mm. Well, it'll make me look bad. All right, so you look bad. Now what's the big fear? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You keep breaking it down and you really look at where those foundational uh, fears are and where they're um, kind of in conflict with your own core beliefs, you know, and then look at how all of that does or does not serve you anymore. I mean, I think we all have to go back to the point that all of these things are to serve us, not for us to serve them. Mm -hmm. So if there's core beliefs that we're holding on to, you know, a man and a woman need to get married, and now my son or my daughter is LGBTQ, how is that core belief serving you anymore? So isn't it time, you know, to shift that core belief, to introduce mm -hmm. a flexibility in your nature and your thought? Because maybe there's something you're not looking at, because maybe there's something you need to do different. Mm -hmm. You know, how is the world really being hurt by this? How are you really being hurt by this? I think people don't stop to examine and ask themselves these questions often enough, and I think they really need to, you know. We tend to put uh, under the rug or into the closet anything that makes us feel uncomfortable instead of kind of confronting it, mm -hmm. which is where the idea of what you were saying, the courage comes in, to really have that courage to confront it and see yourself for who you are. Right, so it sounds like step one is look at where there's stagnation in your life. Look mm -hmm. at where there's rigidity or resistance or dissonance in your life. And then step two is to yes. sort of dissect that and look at where the fear is in your life. Yeah. You know, what are you afraid of? Because stagnation is a sign of fear. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and fear is where we yourself. start keeping secrets and keeping right. withholding stuff and pushing stuff away. And then once you get clear on, the f on what the fear is, keep asking yourself more and more deeply. So if I'm afraid of this... What does it mean? And then what does that mean? And then what does that mean? And it'll eventually get you to a core belief maybe about yourself or about the community. And then you have to challenge that belief. Yes. Is that really true? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's such a um, cliche saying, but it's about getting to know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Finding yourself in yeah. this whole. And therapists help. <laughs> we know that. I mean, listen, if not therapy, then something, you know, then a book, then a group, then something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are so many rules in this community and they're meant to protect us. They're meant to keep us safe. And sometimes we think if we follow all these rules, then there's this very specific formula for us that's going to create happiness. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that maybe that formula doesn't work for everyone. And if it works for you, great. But maybe it doesn't work for everyone and, or maybe parts of it work for you but other parts of it don't you know so I think we've all broken rules in this community and part of having different speakers on the podcast is for us to also ask them what's one rule that you've broken in mm -hmm. this community and what did you gain or learn from breaking that rule I think the uh, place in my life that I think people would probably find within the Iranian Jewish, more conservative community, look at me as the most rebellious is my marriage. So I married someone who was of a different faith than myself. And 
I think it uh, wasn't, well, we're talking about 20 years ago, so it's a little <laughs> bit like old news now, so it feels funny to like even go back to it, but um, I think it was something that didn't even occur to me in the way that I was living my life until uh, maybe certain members of family or community brought it up, like, oh, really? Are you going to do this? And for me, there was no other choice. Uh, I was, you know, for the good or for the bad of it, very uh, decided on I'm going to marry who I feel is the right person for me and nothing else or nobody else is going to decide based on, you know, random... Uh, what did you call it very brilliantly um prescriptions or rules, rules or, or formulas formulas that's the word based on formulas how uh you know certainly to pick a, a spouse so yeah i think that's that's what i did how did it serve me is that what you're saying yeah what did you ultimately gain or learn from marrying someone outside of the faith hmm. marriage in and of itself uh, is a challenging institution uh, because being in constant relation with one other person is a challenging thing to do, just like <laughs> having children is a challenging thing to do. And so uh, I don't think that my spouse being from a different uh, faith had any bearing on what I gained. I don't think I more than anybody else who gets married. Especially because I, I also have to, I think, bring it also in because I wasn't necessarily brought up in a, a very religious family to begin with. So while it was like, oh, you're going to do that, it wasn't something so earth shattering for where I lived. And for so I could see how it could be for others that if you stay true to yourself, listen, there's no guarantees. You know, I don't think that. I didn't think I went into a marriage thinking my love will guarantee success, uh, nor did I go into it thinking a formula would guarantee success. I think that one of the things we got to all come to realize is that life in, of, in and of itself gives you no guarantees. So the only guarantee you have, the only guarantee you have is living your truth, is getting to know yourself, right? Recognizing who you are, recognizing your strengths, recognizing your weaknesses, and being truthful, and really allowing for experiences to happen. You know, not perceiving that there's so much shame in experiences. We're all here to experience. It's, it's not the end goal. It's not the diploma that gives you your career. It's not that piece of paper. It's the experiences of the four years of university. It's not the 50th wedding anniversary that, you know, the cake that says we've been married 50 years that makes for a successful light. It's what experiences did you have during those 50 years? That's what counts. And so you got to look for ways to live your life and to live your truth and maybe you'll succeed and maybe you won't and maybe the success is in your hands and maybe it's not but the only guarantee is with knowing yourself and living your truth 
and taking responsibility for it instead of trying to blame. You know, the problem with formulas is that if it doesn't work for you, then you live a lifetime blaming others, you know. And the fact of the matter is, whether you followed the love or you followed the formula or you followed the desire or whatever you followed, at the end of the day, you're the adult who t should take responsibility for that decision. And with that comes the growth. With that comes the evolution. Um, you got to keep having the conversations. You got to keep talking about the fears and the shames and the whys and the... Anytime we start to go hush-hush about it is when we lose. So... Um, with that, my organization, Cross-Cultural Expressions, works closely in partnership with Department of Mental Health in Los Angeles uh, to do precisely that, to continue conversations through different programs. And the latest thing that we have is a theater project. Same conversations about stigmatized topics and, uh, you know, how to work through them and bring them into the light. And so uh, we just created a um, theatrical production, and it's called uh, Wake Up Sleeping Beauty. And um, it's going to go on stage specifically for the Iranian community, also for the Russian community, but for our needs for the Iranian community. It's going to go on stage in uh, June and July of this year. We're in rehearsals right now. And so, you know, I would love to invite the community um, to come and to see the play because everything you and I just talked about today is kind of incorporated in that play. And it's all based on the myth of Sleeping Beauty, which is kind of a universal myth for all collectivist culture. And how can our listeners get more of you outside of the theater? So um, you can definitely go to my website. The Cross-Cultural uh, Expressions website is cceccc.org. Um, and then you could follow Cross-Cultural Expressions on Facebook. We're on Facebook. Sure, our phone number is 818-860-1223. And uh, you can always get a hold of us there, too. Hey, Chaya family, thank you for tuning in. This episode was brought to you by Chaya Community, a sacred space for Jewish Iranians to experience meaningful connection and deepen their sense of self. It's also brought to you by WeWork, finally a space that works how you do. WeWork's new media and entertainment locations are wired and ready for your next big creative project. From soundproof editing rooms to state-of-the-art screening rooms, our media-ready spaces have you covered from pilot to wrap. Book a tour of our newest M&E building at the Pacific Design Center, Green, by visiting we.co slash entertainment. Again, that's we.co slash entertainment.